Good morning, Renewal. It is good to be back with you guys. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. So if you're new with us, I just want to simply say welcome to you and thank you for joining us this morning. I've been away for a while and now I'm back and I'm excited to jump back in the pulpit as well as start our new series this morning as we look at the book of Jonah. But before we get to that, um, I'd be remiss if I don't talk about the things that have happened this weekend things that are going on. So as I'm sitting here worshiping and praising God this morning, there's a, there's a solemn note in my heart of just, um, just the tragedy and the things that are happening, you know, in other parts of the nation. It may not have happened here in Chicago, but it still happened to us. And um, I'm tired, y'all. I, I'm tired. I'm tired of the division. I'm tired of racism. I'm tired of the violence. I'm tired of people propping them, their race up above someone else and looking down on other people. I'm just tired. I'm tired of it, all of it. You know, but when I walk in here, as I, I was thinking about what I'm gonna say to you guys, when, when I come into church, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because when I look around this room, I see diversity where I don't see outside of Sunday morning, where Sunday morning is traditionally the most divided hour of the week, but not here at Renewal. By God's grace, he's doing something great here. And I heard Miss Barbara clapping, but all of y'all should have been clapping because this is amazing. It's amazing what God is doing here. And, and I'm excited about what he's doing. And we can't stop here. Because this is not the end goal. This is a starting point. So, so if I may challenge you a little bit, yeah, yeah. It's not looking to the president or different things around the nation and say, man, he's got to do something. He's got to change something. No, if we want to see real change and see lasting change, it has to start with the church. So this is a starting place right here on Sunday mornings. And you may see, well, D Pastor D is a little passionate this morning. I am. Because th this world is in desperate need of a savior and seeing something different and seeing the church actually be the church. And see, that's what's happening here. Walls are being broken down. Things are happening. We're intentionally living like Jesus. You look at the Bible, Jesus is intentionally crossing lines that other people would not cross. Tax collectors in his camp. He's going to the Samaritan woman, crossing every boundary. They don't like her. I'm going to talk about that a little later, but they don't like the Samaritans. But Jesus goes to her anyway, shares himself with her. Walls are broken down, and she comes to know Jesus, and our revival breaks out throughout the land. It starts with the church. But sadly, we, we haven't been doing that. So family, if this is the only diversity you see throughout the week, then I'm failing you. If this is the only place you have that, is this the most diverse setting? If it's not happening at your dinner tables, if it's not happening at your work, like if we're truly the church, our jobs should be transformed. We live and, and we work at every different sector of society, different levels of society, and if the church is really the church, then it should influence every part of our lives. If you're a lawyer, your law firm should look different. If you're a doctor, your hospital should look different. If you're a father, then your family and your household should look different. Everything should look different because we live for Jesus. I'm tired, but I'm encouraged. And I want to challenge us in here to not stop here in these four walls of Renewal Church of Chicago. 
If we want to see change happen in America, it's not going to just be praying. It's not going to be saying, well, somebody's going to handle it. Why are they doing that again? It has to happen with us being the church, intentionally engaging those that are different than us, that vote differently than us, that eat differently than us, that look different than us. It's going to happen with intentionality, walking across lines and challenging one another, engaging and doing life with one another, one life at a time, and you start to see these things change. You see walls come down. Now, I know that's tough. But if Jesus could do it, and he calls us to do the same, and he doesn't leave us by, himself, by ourselves, he gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can do the same thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's not stop here on Sunday morning and say, we, we got it. No, we haven't made it yet. There's a lot to do. There's a lot more heroes to cross, a lot more intentional engagement that we need to do with our nation, and hopefully we'll see the world change. That's my prayer, amen? amen. Let's, let's pray real quick. I just want to pray on that note and pray for our nation, pray for our brothers and sisters, because the saddest thing about it is that, you know, we see all of this hate and that the marches that are going on, and those same people are sitting in churches talking about the same word we, we preach today. And so you, you look at that and you say, well, that's not what we preach. That's not what we see, but that's the word of God. They're, they're using that word of God. So we have to ask God to intervene and break down the walls and the, and the, the, the barriers and the, and the blockades on the hearts of people to see that he created all of us as image bearers. Amen? And that we're all equal in his eyes and he loves us all. So let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. God, you're an awesome God, and you're awesome by yourself, all by yourself. So God, I just ask, as you've called us as humans, God, to just, as your ambassadors, those that know you, to go out and share to the other ends of the world, I, I pray, God, that we would do that, that we would be lights on a hill, that we would go out and we would, even when it's, it's hard and we get smacked in the face, that we would keep going, we would keep engaging folks that are not like us, that we would see walls broken down, and we wouldn't just stop and hide inside the four walls of our church, but we would intentionally engage and be on the front lines as you called us to be as Christians. God, that we'd see you and your glory and you being the hero throughout the other ends of the world. God, I pray that, that revival would happen. I pray that your people, your church would rise up and be the church you've called us to be. It's not someone else's problem, it's our problem. But God, we need the strength to keep going on. We need you to continue to encourage us. We need each other to band together to see this happen. So God, I pray that what's happening inside these four walls, God, will, will, will leave this room and trickle into every part of society. We see Chicago better, the nation better, and ultimately the world. God, have your way. Use us for your glory. It's in Christ's name all of us said together, amen. Amen, amen. Family, if you need prayer on that and, and something's really going on in your heart, I, I get it, I understand. That's why we're here. I love to be able to come to a place where we can call church and we can call family and this is a community. We'll be able to do that a little later on in communion where we're just going to pray together. So if you need prayer, please won't you come up and pray with me. I'll probably ask Tony to join me up here and Dan also will pray with you guys. I, I, I don't want you to leave this place burdened or the same way that you came in today. Amen.
Amen? I know I've been gone for a while, but I'm going to need y'all to talk to me. All right? Cool, cool. Well, we're going to be in the book of Jonah today. If you've got a Bible, why don't you open your book, Bibles up? Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. I've been looking forward to getting into Jonah. This series will be entitled Running from God. Running from God. It's been eating me up. It's been good. But Jonah chapter 1, in this, this text, we see the rebellion of Jonah and the chase of God. It's a story where throughout the next five weeks, I hope that you just let it seep in and resonate in your souls. If you're not here on Sunday morning, read it. It's really short. You can read it probably in about 15 or 20 minutes, the whole book. Keep reading it. Let it just seep into your souls because hear me, all of us in one way or another, we all run from God. We all rebel. And as we look at this, hear me clearly. No matter how hard you run or how much you rebel from God, hear me, God's chase is always superior to you running away from him. And to that end, I I am thankful. I'm thankful that I can believe in a merciful and gracious God that loves me and chases after me despite me. Let's jump into the text. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, if you have, not you stand with me. We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter in its entirety. It's only 17 verses, so don't worry. Jonah chapter 1. Word of the Lord, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, 
you know, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice, a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, the run of your life. The run of your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just ask simply right now, one thing and one thing only, that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up. Let your word go forth and fall fresh on your people. Let them hear from you, God, and not me. In Christ's name, we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. How many of you have seen The Lion King? Everyone, right? It's a classic, right? Classic Disney movie. I love The Lion King. I love it. So much so that we actually named our youngest daughter from the movie. No joke, no true story. The night that she's born, we're watching The Lion King. We're like, we don't have a name yet. And Nala jumped on the scene and we were like, that's it. We love that name, Nala. And that's how we got Nala. Little Nala was named from Lion King. There's many things that I love about Lion King. I I love the Lion King. But the one thing that I really love about the Lion King is I love the relationship between Mufasa and Simba. I love how Mufasa loves and and leads Simba, how he cares for him, he instructs him, and he tells him which way to go, he he keeps him out of danger, how he cares for his son. I, I love watching that relationship. But as you know, Simba, he's supposed to be the next in line. He's the, 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 the king. He's going to be the heir to the throne. But Simba has a, a way of listening to his own heart and rebelling and, and running from what his, God, what his daddy tells him to do. You know, he doesn't like to listen to Mufasa. But if he just listened to Mufasa, he, he'd be safe, he'd be sound, he, he'd be able to sit there and await the, the throne when it, when, it, when it comes to him, the crown. He has everything he wants, but he still continues to run away from Mufasa and get himself into trouble. You know how the story goes. There's this one scene where evil Scar, Mufasa's brother, he, he wants the throne, so he tries to kill Simba, and he, he said, I'm going to kill Mufasa next. So he lures Simba down into the gorge, and, and, and the wild beasts, they're coming down, and it's a stampede because the hyenas are friends with this lion. Lions don't have friends with hyenas, but that's how Scar is. He, he, he's hanging out with the hyenas. He's, he, he's an evil man, and, and now these, these, these beasts, they come running down, and Simba sees it. He hears the ground shaking. He feels it shaking, and he starts running, and he runs, and he should be trampled, but he runs. He jumps on a stick. Mufasa hears about it, right? 
He, he, he runs, he drops everything. He's sprinting to get to his son. By this time, Simba should be dead. If he's not dead, he's about to be trampled, but he's hanging for dear life on this stick, on this tree. And Mufasa's running through the crowd. He, he's getting stopped on, he's getting hit. And he jumps out of nowhere, grabs his son, throws him up on the cliff, and then he tries to get out himself. But you know the story. Scar grabs him and kills his brother. What's the point? The point is, friends, we all have a little Simba in us. We all have a little Simba in us, and the truth is we have a father that loves us just like Mufasa, who teaches us, who cares for us, but just like Simba, we continue to trust our own hearts and our own feelings and what we think is right, and we continue to run away from him. We run this way, we rebel, and we do our own thing. But the good news of the gospel is, family, that you can never run too far. You can never rebel enough to where God cannot still save you. It's just like Mufasa. God can still save you, and he saves you by giving up his own life when he died on the cross. It's the good news of the gospel. Jesus saves us in the midst of our rebellion. You see, friends, as we walk through this chapter today and we walk through the book of Jonah, I want you to remember one thing as we walk through these next few weeks. And one thing is that you can never outrun. You can never do enough bad things. You can never, never rebel enough to where God can't save you. This is exactly what we're going to see in this text. As we walk through the book of Jonah, this is what we're going to see. Now, as we jump into this text today, this book, let me give you a little context. We've got to go to school a little bit before we get into the book all the way. The, the book of Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Minor prophets in the Old Testament is written somewhere around the 8th century uh, B.C. It, it's not the minor prophets because he's somewhere less than, you know, Jeremiah or Isaiah. That's not what it is. It's just a smaller book. So it's called the minor prophets. You see the minor prophets. That's where Jonah is. Jonah wrote this book in the Old Testament. He, he wrote this book, according to theologians and Christian history. This is Jonah writing this in the third person. This is him. He's been around for a while, y'all. This is not the only time where Jonah's on the scene in this book. He, he's been around for a while, which means that, and, and he's a prophet. So, so hear me, he knows God. Let me say it again. He knows God. And guess who else knows? God knows him. They have a relationship. He's a prophet. He's sent by God. He knows God. Now, now, now here's the thing. As you look at this, it's another character. You got the, the Ninevites. So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It's the capital of Syria, and the Israelites hated the Assyrians and vice versa. The Assyrians were a vicious people. They were wicked people. At one point, they conquered Israel, and you may have heard me say this before, but they intermarried with them, and, and through their intermarry, when they intermarried with them, they produced the people called the Samaritans. This is why hundreds of years later, in John chapter 4, the Jews still hate the Samaritans. They come from these people called the Assyrians. They were a cruel and wicked people. Don't believe me? This is how they would fight. If they capture somebody, they would put a hook in their lip. 
hook right here in their lip, they'd hook in their nose, they would take spears and gouge out their eyes, and they would take chains and carry those people back to the camp, and they would live out the rest of their days as blind slaves. They would not only do this to the captain, but they would also hang him upside down with shackles on his, his ankles in the middle of the town so as people walked by, they could literally mock him and shake his hand while he's hanging there dying. There's some cruel people. These are the Assyrians, so, so you can understand why Jonah's like, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. But check this out. Jonah, again, he's a prophet. He's a prophet that's called by God to prophesy the prosperity of Israel. We see this in 2 Kings 14, verses 23 through 28. Now, this is important. This is important because as you see in the text, again, I'm going to say it again, he's a prophet. He's sent by God. He's a messenger, so people look to him to hear from God, to declare the word. That's who he is. So again, he knows God. And God knows him. This is not his first rodeo with God. He's a prophet. But here's the problem. Point blank, and right here at the beginning of the text, God tells my man Jonah, he says, go to Nineveh, that great, that, or, or in other words, that important city, and say their evil has come upon or up before me, which means God is about to lay the holy smack down on the Ninevites. Y'all don't know wrestling, that means that he's about to judge them. And without any explanation, my man Jonah just ups and leaves. He doesn't say anything. He just leaves. He's like, God, do you know those people? You know what they do to people like me? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going this way. Away from you and away from those people. I am not doing that, God. He runs. But, but family, he's not only running from God and running from what he called him to do, he's running the opposite direction of the presence of the Lord. He goes to Tarshish. Now, but, but I don't want you to miss this, the magnitude of what he's doing right here. You see in the passage where it says he went down to Joppa, you see that in verse 3? It says he went down to Joppa, and then a couple words later it says he went down into. You see that in verse 3? This he went down is a euphemism or an alternative phrase for death. He went down. So in other words, this phrase is letting us know the farther he runs from the presence of God, the closer to death he gets. The more trouble he gets into, the more disastrous his life becomes. Now friends, this is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. And my fear, my worry is that many of us in this place, this is where we sit for long periods of our lives. Constant running from God, doing things our way. We, 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 we do our own thing. See, see, we may know what God is calling us to do or, or maybe we should not be doing this right now, but we wanna do what we wanna do or, or maybe it's just comfortable Maybe it, it feels right where we are. See, if we're honest this morning, the part that scares some of us about Christianity is that God might change the course 
of your life. He might change the course of our lives or what we actually planned on doing. And like Jonah, we're like, I'm good. I'm deuces. I might do that later, God. I just can't do it right now. I'm almost there. I'm almost partnering my job. I almost got this amount of money. I'm almost there. I got to do this first, God, then maybe I'll do that. Or maybe you're like Jonah, as we'll see throughout the next few weeks, and, and you're like, well, well, maybe you just think you know more than God. I mean, can we be honest? And instead of you getting with God's program, you want him to get with your program. See, we get uncomfortable with God sitting in the driver's seat and us sitting in the passenger seat. No, no, we want to sit behind the driver's seat and him, have him watch us whip the nene, you know, driving that car. He, he, he want, you want, we want him to watch us. Matter of fact, he's not even in the car with us. We want it our way. We want to do our thing. See, and here's the heart of the problem. It's hard to trust that God knows better, right? Can we be honest? It, it's hard to trust his judgment when those closest to you and everyone around you tells you, just follow your heart. You know, do what energizes you. Do what makes you feel good, what makes you happy. Just do what you do. And hear me, family, there's nothing wrong with doing things that make you happy, that energize you. There's nothing wrong with it. But the question you must answer is, where do the roots of those things come from? Where is my ultimate purpose? Where does it lie? Is, is it based off of what I just want to do, or is it based off me giving glory to an holy God? Where does it come from? See, hear me, when your purpose or your foundation is based off of what you want to do, you will never be satisfied. We will never be satisfied. We'll always want more. No amount of money is enough. No house is big enough. No job is good enough. No spouse is pretty or handsome enough. There is this endless circle of dissatisfaction that, that, that just never ends. But when your purpose is founded and rooted in the supremacy of an all-knowing God who is over all things and in all things, who created all things, family, it gives you freedom. It gives you freedom because whether you're satisfied or not, hear me, he's already satisfied with you. See, that changes the way you approach everything in your life. It changes everything because regardless of you being satisfied or not, he's already satisfied with you whether you win or lose. Whether you succeed or fail, he's satisfied with you. That changes everything. You see, the true believer is able to trust God without being able to see what's in front of them all the time. Because their purpose is not solely wrapped up in what they want to do, their purpose is wrapped up in glorifying Him. But if you don't truly trust Him, and your purpose is not to glorify Him, we'll always live a life that will always feel like it's never enough. We're never satisfied. And here's the sad thing. Many of us will never feel that freedom 
or the fact that God is just simply satisfied and pleased with us. And we end up running. We end up running from God. Whether you're doing it intentionally or unintentional, because at the end of the day, we believe we know better. We trust ourselves more than Him. And hear me, family, running from God doesn't always mean that you know what God wants you to do. And you're not doing it. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. If you haven't caught it by now, simply running from God is not trusting fully in Him and the fact that He knows better. It's not trusting Him as the all-sufficient Savior and Creator of the world, which, friends, can be unintentional or intentional. You see, if you never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, meaning you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, running from Him is unintentional. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's intentional. But hear me, there's a third way. Because you can still know God and be running away from Him unintentionally because here's the thing, you may think you really know God, but you really don't. You may think you trust him beyond a shadow of a doubt, but when the, the winds and the waves hit, you really don't. And this is the place that most Christians sit in. We, we live in that because when it really comes down to it, we rarely live out the life that exemplifies Matthew 16, 24, where it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, meaning give up your life. Lay down your plans for the sake of Jesus Christ. Follow him. And you know why that's so hard? It's hard because we don't believe the next verse. We don't, we don't believe the next verse. We cut it off right there. And the next verse says these. Look at me. Look at it with me if you keep reading with me. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whomever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. See, we don't trust that laying our lives down for Jesus is better. We don't believe that he can actually take care of us, so we hold on tight. We have it all in our hands. We can do it. Friends, hear me. He promises right here when we lay down our lives, he will give us life. And that's scary. I know it is. Because when you do that, your life is out of your hands now. It's, it's out of your control but when you let go and you taste and see that the Lord is good, your life now has purpose. Your identity is rock solid. Y'all, I wish I had somebody that knew what I was talking about this morning. See, that's when y'all supposed to clap. We're going to get this thing down. I know we're multi-ethnic. We're going to figure it out, right? It's okay to praise God when you feel something in your spirit. It's okay to praise him and lift his name up. It's okay to say amen when you resonate with something that's said or you see in the word of God. David danced. I'm not even going to go there. But he danced because he was so excited to know Jesus, to know God. It's okay to worship him. Amen? Take that home with you. That wasn't in the script. See, it's hard to trust God. It's hard to lay it down because we don't ultimately believe that he knows better, that he has something better for me. And see, friends, Christianity is a joyous walk when we live from a place of knowing God's satisfaction. It's a joyous walk when we live from a place of knowing his love for us. 
It's a joyous walk when we know that he knows what's best for us and he will give to us what's best, whether that's here or later. But it can be a monotonous, pointless belief if we don't trust him to the point of abandoning our own lives, our hopes, and our dreams. That doesn't mean you can't have them, but they should never outweigh how much you live to glorify God. Hear me, many of us, we've been sold a lie that God wants us to have your best life now. That is not true. Just mess somebody's theology up. God wants you to glorify him now. And that may mean being like Jonah and doing something that you don't want to do doing something that doesn't feel right. Let me hear me. The Christian walk is not a joyous and restful life because life is going to get easier once we accept Jesus Christ. That's not necessarily what he's talking about here. The Christian walk is joyous and restful because we know one day we will live in glory with Jesus after this. And we know that's true because when he went to the grave, he didn't stay there. He got up from the grave. I don't know anybody else that rose from the grave, but he rises from the grave with power in his hands, conquering sin and death, leaving it right there. There's nothing that he can't handle. There's nothing that can hold him down. So by knowing he got up, it gives me the freedom to live for his glory, knowing that despite what happens to me on this side of heaven, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to overcome it because Jesus has already done it for me. But again, sad thing is that many of us, we miss this because we've never fully trusted him. And our purpose is not 100% rooted in him, and we start to run. We run. Jonah knows what God wants him to do, and he runs. God tells him, go to the people he hates, and the Ninevites, and, and call out against them. And instead, my man Jonah jumps on a ship. He jumps on a ship. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us say things, well, like, I, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. He, he hasn't made it very clear to me. He hasn't spoke to me. And the truth of the matter is, he probably has made it pretty clear. It's just not what you want to do. It, it may not feel right or feel good to go down that path. Maybe that's a, a little less secure than me going this way. You sure you want me to do that, God? You don't want to go that way because it's not exactly what you want to do or what you think you should be doing. And hear me, when we read the Word of God, you know, trying to figure out direction, it's not really that complicated. We just make it complicated because it doesn't fit what we want. Doesn't fit in the little box that we put God into. And you look at Jonah here. Here's a man where God says, simple and plain, go out, call against them. And my man does instead what he wants to do because he hates these people. See, see, that's the problem. Many times we either don't know what God is telling us to do or don't understand because it's the opposite of what we think or feel we should be doing. Let's, let's get to the heart of it. That, that, underneath that, I can't hear God because I'm hearing too much of me. 
we're not truly submitting to the supremacy and the authority of God, and just like Simba, it leads us into trouble. See, just like Jonah, we have a problem with authority in our lives. We don't like authority. We want to be the author of our own souls, the captain of our own ships. We want to be that person. And when, when it's something that doesn't line up with what we want to do, we start to buck. We rebel. We, we start to run the other way. We go back to what we want to do or we do what we want to do in the first place. What, we, we start to take God and take the word and fit it into our own little feelings and say, well, yeah, maybe it does really say that instead of what it actually says because we want it our way. And again, hear me, family, God didn't make us so that he could glorify us. He made us so that we could glorify him. I Meaning our lives aren't about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we feel. Our sole purpose as image bearers of God, whether you know him or not, is to give glory back to him. But if you're in constant rebellion against him, you're running away from him, continually doing your own thing, taking the word and fitting it into your own little understanding, then you will never, ever feel the satisfaction of being with Jesus. You will never be satisfied in this life because it's more about you than it is him. Someone told me something. I was getting ready for this Jonah series and I was talking with him. And we're talking about how we follow God and, and, and dealing with Jonah and when we follow God, everything has to line up the way we want it. It has to feel the way we want it to feel. And it has to be right. It has to be how we want it. And, and we say things well, like, well, well, man, I can't do that. I can't go that way because God hasn't given me a peace yet. I can't stand when people say that to me. I'm going to just tell you the truth. I can't stand when people say that to me because the truth of the matter is that what you're supposed to do won't always line up with the peace that you have, okay? God is not always going to give you a peace all the time because when you say that, you're, you're, you're most of the time really looking forward to what you want to do instead of what he wants you to do. And it might not always be peaceful the way he's leading you. So, so I got back in a conversation with the guy and he's like, yeah, man, it, it, uh, if God calls you to do something, it, it may not be peaceful because it's not what you really want to do. And, and, and you see this in the text. I'm not just saying this to you. Look at the text with Jonah. My man Jonah in the text, he, he, God tells him to do something. He doesn't do it. He, he jumps on a ship. And you see in, in, the, in the story as the guys are throwing cargo overboard, they're going crazy. They're frantic. What is my man Jonah doing? He's sleep. He's at peace. He's at peace in the midst of his rebellion against God. He's at peace. And then I guess what? You kept flipping. You flip a couple chapters earlier, uh, I mean, later into the New Testament. John chapter 17, you see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he dies. How, how is Jesus? He's in utter anguish. He is suffering. He is not at peace. Both of these guys are called to go to their enemies, not necessarily something they want to do. One has peace and rebellion, and the other one does not in obedience. What's the point? God will not always give you a peace in what he calls you to do. See, sometimes he will give you a peace, but sometimes it's going to be flat out hard. It's going to be tough. It's not going to feel good. 
So you ask, well, 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 then how do I know? How do I know what I should do then? How do I, I'm not getting an audible voice like Jonah does in this text. I, I don't know what to do then. If it's not just peace, then how do I know it's simple? You have to read the Bible and read his word to get to know him and understand the direction that God gives you. You have to spend time with him. It's simple, family. Living the Christian life and living according to what God calls you to, it may not be the most peaceful journey, but I guarantee you it's always going to be the most fruitful journey. You don't believe me? Okay, let's see. Let's look at the text. Let's look at the Bible. Let's flip through it and let's see life examples juxtaposed to the word of God. Let's see this. It's not easy or peaceful to do life with people who don't look like you, who don't live like you, who don't vote like you, who don't eat like you, who don't make money like you do. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to flip on the TV and see what's happening in Virginia and say, man, it's not easy to think about I'm going to share the gospel with those people. I'm going to share my life with them. I want to eat dinner with them. It's not easy to think of it in those terms, is it? But if you flip to John chapter 4, you see Jesus crossing every boundary to get to this Samaritan woman, the Assyrian descendant right here, the people that Jews hate. He crosses every religious, every gender barrier, every socioeconomic barrier, every hate and sinful barrier to get to this woman to share himself. That's the Word of God. You got to know the Word of God. It's not always peaceful. Let's keep going. It's hard to not just climb that corporate ladder and get to the top. You know, putting everything to the side. I'm going to make it one day. I'm going to be better than my father. I'm going to make it up that ladder. I'm going to be better than my mother. I'm putting everything to the side. And it's hard to just sit back for a second and say, well, what does God call me to do? What does God really want me to do in this season? Yeah, I'm married. Maybe, Maybe he really wants me to take care of my wife. Maybe he wants me to help raise my kids and shepherd them. Maybe they don't just need money. Okay, let's see what the Word says. The Word says a man that finds a wife finds a good thing, that he should cherish the wife of his youth. He should take care of him. A man that does not take care of his household is worse than an unbeliever. Then it says that you should raise your children in admonition and the fear of the Lord, that children are a blessing from the Lord. If you don't raise them, this isn't Bible, but this is in the Bible. If you don't raise them, somebody else is. So so that's the Word of God. I mean, let's keep going. It's hard to not just do what you want to do and and look out or or stand on the fronts of injustice in society. It's hard to not just better myself when everybody else is looking at it and caring less about it. But you see, Jesus, when Mary Magdalene is about to be stoned, a prostitute for her actions, he stands in front, throws her line on the ground, and tells all these men, he says, look, the one with the, without sin, throw the first stone. All of them drop the stones and they run away. That's tough. But that's the Bible, right? Keep going. It, it, it's hard to ride past or, or, or just keep going on about your day when you see homeless people on the side of the road, you see these things going on, you see orphans, you see widows. I mean, I got to do my thing, though. I, I just got to keep going. But if you look at the Bible, there's over 2,300 verses that speak to God's heart towards the widow, the orphan, and the poor. You think God doesn't care about that? See, that's a little bit of the Bible just opposed to the way we think. Friends, hear me, the the, the point I'm trying to get at right here is is that living for Jesus or living the way he wants you to live is not always going to be the most peaceful thing. It's going to be tough. It will be tough. 
You have to know the Word of God to know how to live worthy of being called a Christian. It's not rocket science. It's not mystical. There's nothing there. It's simply just spending time in the love letter that he's written towards you and understanding his heart for you and the heart for people. It's like dating. Many of you guys are dating here. You might not, you're not telling anybody about it, but you're dating in here, right? And that's okay. You should date. That's a good thing. But when you're dating somebody, you're not like, all right, cool. I'll see you next month. We'll talk then. You're like, no, you're on the phone with them all night. You're, you're writing letters to them. You're journaling. You're praying for them. You're getting to know them. You're spending time with them every second and hour of the day. That's what you're doing. It's the same thing with God. If you really want to know him and you really want to know the direction that he's called you to, you have to spend time with him. You got to read his love letter to you. That's the best way to know what he's called you to do. I know some of you guys are like, well, well, what about prayer? You should pray. Prayer is important. It is a spiritual discipline that you should not disregard. But your prayer should always be informed by Scripture. It should always be informed by Scripture. Because if it's not, you're going to sit around and you're going to be a disappointed brother or sister because you're going to be like, man, God ain't answering my prayers. He's not doing what I asked him to do. And maybe it's because you have not prayed the right way. In order to pray accordingly or the right way, you have to know him. You got to spend time with him. Friends, hear me. Don't be like Jonah, whether intentional or not, and run from God. Spend time getting to know him and lead the life he wants you to lead and not the one you want to lead. Jonah knew God. He knew God and what he, and what he wanted him to do, but he chooses to jump on a ship and do what he wants to do. And family, that may be some of us in here. We know God, but we're still choosing to do what we want to do. Or maybe it's unintentionally, and you're unintentionally running because you don't actually know him. Hear me, spend time reading, getting to know the one who created you, the one who hung the stars in the sky and knows all of them by name. Spend time with him and see how he really wants you to live your life. Okay, well, you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor D, it feels like as if it's too late for me. I know Jesus. And I've been simply trying to live my life the way I'm supposed to, but it feels like all hell is breaking loose in my life and, he's, and Satan's coming after me. Things are going wrong in my life right and left over and over and over again. What should I do now? Here's the thing. Look back at the text with me right now before I get out of your way because I love what happened next in the text. I love what happens next. The mariners in this text, they're frantic. They're throwing things overboard. They're overwhelmed. They're, they're throwing the cargo over. And my man Jonah, he's sleep. He's sleep because he knows it, it, it is God that is causing the storm. The sailors start praying to their God and nothing happens. They, they, they find Jonah sleep and get upset. Again, Jonah is at peace in rebellion. They, they tell him to call out to God and they cast lots. This was an ancient way to figure out this is how they discerned the will of God. They believed that God was in control of the outcome. And guess who, who, who gets the lot? Jonah. 
He, he tells them he's fleeing the Lord, and he is the reason for the storm. If they just throw him overboard, the storm will cease, and it will be no more. And I love, this is the part I love of the text. The men don't want to kill Jonah. They don't want to kill him. So, so they start rowing harder. They start rowing harder. And the text says that the seas grew more tempestuous. See, what I believe is happening right now is that God wasn't ready for Jonah to hit dry land yet. Hence, he cared far too much for Jonah to allow him to keep running. Y'all didn't catch that. He cared about him and didn't want him to run anymore, so he keeps chasing Jonah. But watch what happens at the same time he's chasing Jonah. The men start praying to God. They start praying to Jonah's God. They say in verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. Now, you might have missed that. But these pagan sailors, they start praying to God. And they declare their faith in God's sovereignty by saying, you have done as you've pleased. They believed he is in control. Then they throw Jonah overboard, trusting in God's sovereignty, and then the storm ceases and they believed and then they gave sacrifices to the Lord. Hmm. It is as if through one man's death, and sacrifice, many were saved. Oh, Y'all missed it again. They, they prayed that they would have life through this man's death. Sounds like some other major biblical figure we know, right? See, the point is, family, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is riddled all throughout Scripture. That he comes and saves us. He chases after us. Even though we run, he's chasing after us. And here's the thing. In the midst of his disobedience, God says, look, look, I can still save those that are far from me because here's the point. He's sovereign. He's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants to bring those that are far from him to himself. You can't run far enough from God. You can't. But the story doesn't end there because God is not done. While he's saving these sailors, he's still chasing after Jonah. They throw Jonah overboard and a great fish comes along and, and swallows Jonah whole. And he sits in the fish for three days and three nights. And friends, it, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. You can run as hard as you want, but you can never outrun the chase of God. Hear me. Although Jonah is far from God and running from him, God is still merciful. He's still gracious because he saves Jonah with this fish swallowing him while Jonah is literally trying to kill himself. He has no plan. Throw me in the water. He's going to drown. But God saves him. Family, as we end the day and the band's coming to the stage, you may feel far off from God this morning. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Or you have known God 
as your Savior and Lord, and, but you've been running. Hear me, family, because we all struggle with trusting God completely at all times in our lives. There's going to be hard times where you struggle with this, but the good news of the gospel is that you will never be able to outrun. You will never be able to rebel. You will never be able to not trust enough to where the God, that God can't save you. He can't find you. He can still save you right where you are, even in the midst of your rebellion. See, he loves us enough come after us despite us and God is saying to someone in this place today won't you just trust me stop running stop relying on yourself I am here I'm here and I'm all you need believe in me every head bowed and every eye closed If that's you this morning and you're saying, I don't know Jesus, but I didn't know he runs after me despite me and still loves me and cares for me and wants to be with me, I just, I'm going to ask you to simply just raise your hand this morning saying, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Nobody's looking except me. I just want to pray for you. second prayer is for those that are saying that I, I know God but I haven't fully trusted him or, or I've been doing my own thing I, I've been running away from him I've been rebelling and I want to lay my life out and say here you go God do with it what you please I trust you to provide I trust you to be who you said you're going to be for me if that's you this morning and you need prayer and you want to pray for that won't you raise your hand Amen. See, here's the true family. There, there's a good God who loves you, who wants to be with you. Will you stop running? Stop running and accept him and be with him. Amen. Let's pray.